Welcome to the Parent Advocate Podcast, a show where we celebrate, defend, support, and uplift the voices of the LGBTQIA community. I'm your host, Stephen Chikumba. My pronouns are he, him, and his, and I'm joined by my awesome co-host, Lisette Trujillo. We have a wonderful inaugural episode today, including our interview with filmmaker Lucina Fisher, whose documentary, The Dad, a film about fathers of LBGTQIA children, will be premiering at the prestigious South by Southwest Film Festival. Full disclosure, I am one of the dads featured in the documentary. The mission of the Parent Advocate Podcast is to elevate conversations and reframe narratives around trans and non-binary youth to help change hearts and minds. We have a great show lined up for you today. But before we get started, we're going to share a little bit about ourselves and let you know why you should even give two craps about what we think. Lizette, how about you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Thank you, Stephen. Hello, everyone. My name is Lisa Trujillo. My pronouns are she, her, ella. I'm married to Jose Trujillo, whose nickname is Chewy, and you'll hear that often on the podcast. We are the parents to Daniel Trujillo, and we live in Tucson, Arizona. I've been doing this advocacy work for years, and um, when I joined HRC's Parents for Trans Equality Council, I became connected to Stephen and through our work um, these past couple of years in uh, parent advocacy, we decided to take this journey into the podcast world. Thanks, Lisette. Hello, everyone. My name is Stephen Chikumba. Again, my pronouns are he, him, and his. I'm a single dad of four kids, one of who identifies as trans. I live in Trenton, New Jersey, and I am not here for the BS. Um, I'm also a member of HRC, uh, Parents for Transgender Equality Council, and have been actively advocating for trans rights since my son came out about six years ago. Now that we've gotten our formalities out the way and you have our bona fides, let's get into today's show. So Lisette, I mean, what's been going on? I haven't seen you, haven't spoken to you in a couple of days. What you've been dealing with? I mean, things have been busy, but Daniel and I are really excited about the showing of the dad next Tuesday. So we've been inviting community members, getting the word out. Also, there was a church that was going to boycott a drag show story hour at one of our local bookshops. And unfortunately, the bookshop is changing locations just due to the extremity of its of the threats that they were facing. Um, and I know we're in a purple state now, but let's just say that the fuckery continues. And so this ledge session just keeps getting longer, but it's not as horrible as things have been um, in other states like Texas. How about you, Stephen? What have you been up to? Child, same old, same old. Hanging with the kids, doing some TikToks, cooking, playing soccer, food shopping, house cleaning, nothing out of the ordinary. But there was something that piqued my interest when you were giving your update. I was just reading an article, I think it was about a bakery in Chicago that had to shut down because they hosted a, a like a, a drag performance for families. And again, for families. So I don't know what people are all up in arms about, but because they did, they had vandalism, their, their, their employees were being threatened, just all types of foolishness because they hosted a drag show. And again, before this legislation came out, drag shows were being hosted all the time. Drag performers were reading at libraries all the time. People were using drag opportunities to go to drag shows and performances for bar mitzvahs and just different things because it is wholesome, it's happy, people are joyous, it's not risque, 
unless you are going to like a burlesque show, which is a different thing than a drag performance. But the fact that people are just acting as if this is the worst thing in the world when it's something that's been around for so long is really just so ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. And we start talking about how it's become part of our our legislative sessions and the things that are being brought up in our legislative sessions instead of things like fighting crime, fighting poverty, fixing infrastructure, addressing the opioid crisis, you know what I mean? all the other things that should be talked about by our elected officials. And they're spending time on things that just don't make sense relative to the other factors and things they should be considering for their constituents. But I digress. My week was good happy to hear your week was good as well i mean who else is equipped to like honor the likes of whitney and dolly i mean there's also been like you know we're at 10 states that have banned access to care which is terrifying kentucky at the last minute put out a catch-all bill which um was like all the worst of anti-trans bills wrapped into one large bill that that then banned access to care sports bathrooms, all the things all wrapped into one. Um, and, and with Missouri yesterday, Missouri's AG put out a declaration um, that made access to care uh, criminal as well. And so we're seeing states fall um, quickly uh, to what's been, to this push of anti-trans legislation. And it's just been really scary. But you know what I'm also seeing it is a counter movement. You know, places like Maryland, um, Massachusetts, Connecticut, California, that are actively legislating in the opposite direction. So where certain states are trying to take away trans rights, these other states are actively trying to put in affirmative protections for transgender people in their states, where they're actively saying, hey, you know what? Uh, Gender affirming care is going to be covered by Medicaid. Hey, you know what? If a particular procedure is outlawed in your state, come to our state and we will protect you. We will offer the procedure and we will also give no full force and credit to any subpoenas or arrest warrants coming from those other states because you've come here. So the fact that states are actively trying to put a new blueprint for safe havens in their states to counter what's happening in these other states, I think it's a positive sign. I, I think that those states need to kind of ramp up and, and, and move faster and move quicker, but they also need to share the knowledge, spread the love as it were, so that states that are interested in enacting similar legislation to affirmatively protect transgender people can do so and not have to figure it out for themselves, but to work collectively uh, as a coalition to try to get it done. Fingers crossed. I yes. mean, there's so many of us trying to put forth bill protection bills, but it's really based on the makeup of your House and Senate. So next election cycle, we all have to get, get going and help out. Absolutely. Absolutely. So before we get too far down the rabbit hole and forget that we have a guest waiting in the wings. When we were talking about doing this podcast and we were like, OK, for a podcast to be successful, you got to have really good guests. You got to have somebody that people are going to want to hear from, who's got something to say, who's got their own profile, own thing happening. And literally, we were all like, Lucina. <laughs> Lucina, she's got to be here. Bring her on. Lucina Fisher is an award-winning director, writer, and producer who works at the intersection of race, gender, and identity. Her feature directorial debut, Mama Gloria, about a Chicago trans activist, Gloria Allen was nominated for a 2022 
Glad Midi Award. She is also the director of a number of other shorts, including The Dads, which premieres next month and is in competition at the South by Southwest Film Festival and was recently uh, selected for the BFI Flair London LGBTQIA plus film festival. In addition to all that, she's the mother of three amazing kids, one of whom identifies as trans, and she's married to my good friend, David Parr. Let us all welcome Lucina Fisher to the show. Yay! Welcome! That was a mouthful. (laughs) I mean, you're a big deal. Okay, so Lucina, I have watched several of your films so far, and I am drawn in every time I watch one of your movies. Your storytelling is amazing. Where do you think you get your ability to tell such amazing, complex stories from? (laughs) Ooh, that's a good question. I mean, you know, as Lisette said, um, there's something about, you know, our families. Um, When you come from a BIPOC family, usually you you have some storytellers in that family. (laughs) I mean, we... We have great storytellers um, on on both sides of my family um, where, you know, you just, that's what you did. You you came into a room and and you just sat around and talked, usually if TV was on. Um, And you might be responding to what was on the television. So, you know, there was this combination of, you know, the pop culture influence of the time, um, which I absorbed like a sponge, um, you know, uh, TV was in its heyday when I was a child and, um, my older brother, older sister and I, we would act out scenes from TV. Um, and then we moved to Germany where my father was stationed, uh, in the army. We had a small base and our Sundays, our weekends really were spent watching movies at the Cacern, um, where you sat and you literally watched, you know, one movie after another be projected, um, you know, on the screen there, they would get the latest films. Um, And so I just absorbed all of that, loved it. And then as I got older, um, you know, would watch the news with my father, uh, loved watching documentaries, um, Eyes on the Prize, uh, seeing the civil rights um, movement uh, played out on screen, really helped me to see myself in the story, to see my people in the story, and the importance of um, that story being told. Um, and then years later, um, when I had, you know, was heading off to college, um, really feeling like journalism was the right fit for me. Um, and seeing the impact that journalists can have when my, my own mother um, was being treated for breast cancer and um, couldn't get a treatment that she needed, that the hospital said was really her last um, possible treatment. And, um, and we, we fought it. We, we, we went to the media and, um, her story got picked up. We wrote letters. I remember writing a letter to Donahue, helping her compose these letters. I used to help her 
because she went to college uh, later um, in life. And I would help her with her papers. I would type them and edit them, really, as I went along. <laughs> so, I mean, I was like already gathering all those skills, but I was also seeing the power and impact of storytelling. And, um, and I knew um, that for me, bringing the written form and the visual together was working all sides of my brain. Um, and so now I'm, I'm just thrilled to be working full time as a filmmaker. Thank you for that. Because again, I, I think I've gotten to know you over the course of the past few years, just through proximity. Um, but I really felt like I got a real good glimpse of who you were as a filmmaker through your film, Mama Gloria. And, you know, you've been talking about Mama Gloria, Mama Gloria, Mama Gloria, but it wasn't until Mama Gloria was screened at Capital One, where I was working, that I was just like, oh my goodness, she really is out here doing it. Um, so for those who don't know, Mama Gloria is about Gloria Allen, who is a, a trans, transgender woman from Chicago, who started a charm school for her adopted transgender boys and girls on the streets of Chicago. And she just took them in and showed them how to, to be, to live, to feel good about themselves. Um, you know, tell, tell us what it was like making a film about a trans woman elder as the mother of a trans woman. Mm, wow. It was, um, it was everything, you know, it was really what I was meant to be doing. And I, I, I am very intuitive um, as a filmmaker and as a person. And um, literally a friend of mine reached out and said, I found your next project for you. Um, and I was like, what are you talking about? And he, he sent me an article about Gloria Allen. He said that she was looking for somebody to write her memoir. And um, I'm reading this article and I'm like, oh my God, you know, she had the support of her mom and her grandmother, you know, um, before uh, the word trans existed, she, you know, transitioned before Stonewall, like, wait a minute, this, this woman sounds amazing. Um, and I just happened to be traveling with my daughter to Chicago, um, where, you know, Gia was going to be speaking with the Gender Cool Project for Coming Out Day. And I was just like, um, wow, the universe is trying to tell me something. Um, and I, I said to Gloria, um, I reached out to her and said, I'll be in Chicago if you would like to meet. Um, and as it turned out, she, she not only met up with me, um, she spent the day with the kids and um, she started to share her stories. And I realized like, oh, she really needs to be on screen. She needs to be seen, she needs to be heard. Her story needs to be preserved. And her voice needs to be preserved, you know, um, books, and I've written books, you know, there's a place for those. And, um, and I, I just knew, like, I needed to tell her story visually. Um, and, and so 
um, we began the process like right after that meeting, you know, she was like, so when, when are we going to get started? <laughs> you know, Gloria was ready. She was ready for her, um, her star, you know, uh, to be born. And, you know, she was already a star, but she was just ready for the world to know her. And, um, and I'll just never forget, you know, in the middle of filming, um, my daughter, who was then 15 and a half, seeing um, some article that said um, the average life expectancy of a, a woman in D.C., a Black trans woman in D.C., is 32. And she sent that to me. And she said, oh, I guess my life is half over. Like, if you don't know why you're doing something, <laughs> you know, it, there, that was the sign. Like, I'm, I'm making this film so not only my daughter, but other Black trans women can see the possibility of long life and what that looks like. You know, Gloria was so open about sharing what it looks like to age as a Black trans woman because that is not something we see. And, um, and nor are we seeing enough of the stories of black families loving and accepting and supporting their trans children. So I wanted to tell that narrative because that was my experience. Um, so yeah, I am certainly um, driven and informed by my role as a mother um, as much as my role as a black woman uh, in America. What was, what was one of the most impactful stories that you heard from Gloria or someone that was like in connection and had gone to Gloria's uh, charm school? What was the, the one that meant the most? Oh my goodness. Well, just seeing how people would react to Gloria walking down the street um, and when she ran into uh, one of her former charm school students and, and this young woman just teared up because she said, you know, um, you knew me before, you know, um, I was out here running these streets and you saw me and you saved me. Like that, uh, it just gets me emotional. Um, you know, thinking about how she knew, um, she knew that these kids didn't have what she had. Um, loving and supportive parents and they didn't have homes, some of them. And, um, and all that made a difference in her life. It allowed her to carry herself in such a way where she knew she was entitled to respect and dignity. And, and she wanted these young people to know they had that too within them. They just had to find that self-love first. And, um, and so for me, that was just so, so meaningful to see um, the impact that she had on folks. Um, but then, you know, when the film came out, um, that was magnified, you know, people who couldn't have the, the, the great gift of being in her presence felt like they were seen and heard and loved through the film by her. And, um, 
you know, ultimately, we, when we lost Gloria last year, um, seeing how the world responded, um, that President Biden paid tribute to her at the White House, that the Economist <laughs> ran an obituary, the New York Times. I mean, we achieved what we set out to do, which was to make sure that the world knew Gloria Allen. Thank you for, for, for sharing that. Um, and I don't want us to kind of dwell on loss, but during the filming of your next project, you learned about the loss of a young trans activist in Chicago um, that really impacted you. And we had just, this was probably the first time you and I had spent any, any time together. Um, how does, how does the loss of, of members of our trans family impact you? And what should people take away when we're learning about what, losing trans elders or trans youth or trans people in general in this time? Oh, yes, that was tough. Um, Elise Mallory had gone missing. Um, a young Black woman, uh, trans woman activist um, who was in law school. You know, she was doing all these amazing things. She was a member of Equality Illinois. I had just seen her at the fundraiser, uh, the big gala in April. Um, we were filming, um, when were we filming? What, wait, we were filming in March. So actually the, the gala was in February, sorry. It was the month before, I had just seen her. And, um, and at the same time, Gloria actually had gone missing. I mean, it was just, uh, it was, it was um, a really, really difficult time. Gloria fortunately had been found um, and, you know, was, was being cared for in a hospital, but at least it turned out um, her body had been found. And I, I just, um, it, it just rocked me because I, I think of all of the potential, you know, um, that this young woman had, all the gifts she was already giving to the world, um, gone. And, um, and, and I know that because of her intersecting identity, she is more vulnerable, was more vulnerable. And, um, and that, you know, by extension, our children, you know, and we're we're doing everything we can, right, to make the world a safer and better place for our kids. That's what we do. <laughs> um, I just think this violence, the, the the discrimination, the disparities are very real, and and it 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 makes certain communities more vulnerable in a way. Uh, you know, I'm just thinking also of of somebody else who just lost their child, um, who came out as trans and non-binary, happened in Alabama a few days ago. And, and while he died in a car crash, I just think about all the vulnerabilities that he had. It's just, there's just too much loss, you know, and it, it, me, it fills me with an urgency to do the work that I do. This year, there have been over seven transgender people killed Last year, that number was over 50. There have been over 300 transgender people killed since these statistics started being kept in earnest. 
Why do you think it's so important to tell the stories of transgender people? Mm-hmm. I know that we're having this conversation about loss and violence and discrimination and, and fear. Um, but I don't want us to stay in that place, right? And I can't, that's not the place that I come from. Um, and, um, you know, I've always been an optimist, um, you know, despite all the things that I've experienced in my life, you know, starting, you know, back to my childhood, um, you know, loss is something I've, you know, taken through my life with me. Um, but on the other side of loss is always transformation. And so for me, um, you know, I'm always about like, how do we transform the trauma, the loss, the, the fear? Um, and I come from really a place of joy. And, and I feel like um, my films, uh, there is a lot of, of, of joy um, and love, you know. Um, I think that's partially why Gloria and I disconnected like instantly, you know, we both are, you know, um, naturally joyful, loving people. And, um, and, and I think, you know, you can't, you can't fight hate with fear. You can't fight it with hate. You, you know, you really do have to go from the opposite, polar opposite place. You know, it's ultimately, you know, you love them to death, but, you know, you, 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 you love that, that, um, you, you know, problem to, to change it, to transform it. For me, it's so important to tell not just the stories um, that we don't see about, you know, trans people, um, you know, a different narrative, um, but stories that also are going to give hope to the community, that are going to give some joy, some laughter. Um, you know, I, I want you to cry and laugh at the same time. Um, and, you know, the, the other piece that I think is important is, you know, I like to always ground my stories in history um, and, and in the present moment. Because I always feel like, you know, we can't forget that nothing is new on this earth. <laughs> you know, I think Lisa, you also referenced this. Um, you know, we have to show that trans people have been around forever um, and that they will continue to be in the future and, you know, and what the future can look like. So, you know, for me, um, that's also an important piece of telling these stories is really um, is really saying, you know, um, they've always been part of our lives, our communities. And at one point we were celebrating them. Like actually yes. my, one of my, yeah, right. One of my new projects, um, that I'm working on is about black queer representation in music. Well, yes. we wouldn't have the music that we listen to today without black queer Talk people. about it talk about it actually because you're now talking about another one of your projects i want to talk about a project that is near and dear to my heart the dads <laughs> which in the intro we talked about 
is in competition at the South by Southwest Film Festival. The premiere screening is coming up Sunday, March 12th at 2.15, I believe, p.m. And it's a story about a fishing trip that five fathers of transgender and non-binary kids take with Dennis Shepard, who is the father of Matthew Shepard, who unfortunately lost his life because of homophobia, transphobia, because of all the phobias. Um, but that's a trip I think that that speaks to joy. Um, and we're not going to talk about the blooper reel about me falling down and almost losing my life because that's not funny. But let's talk about the dads and how that project came together. That's We want to end on a high note with you. <laughs> I love the dads. I love the dads so much. I love that you all invited me along. Did I maybe invite myself along a little I bit? Think, I think you um, were a forced yeah, invitation. Yeah. Like it all kind of gelled around you and your lenses around us. I maybe was a little pushy. Look, I overheard Frank <laughs> Gonzalez, Dennis Shepard, uh, father of Matthew, and Wayne Maines, who is the father of Nicole Maines, who people may know from Supergirl, um, talking about going hunting or fishing and like, you know, let's, let's go do this in some red state. And, you know, wouldn't that be hilarious? And and I was just like, um, can I tag along with y'all <laughs> and maybe bring a few cameras? Um, I mean, I just thought, wow, that's interesting. That would be really interesting to capture. And and then it kind of grew, right? You know, we started talking about it within the Parents for Transgender Equality Council, a human rights campaign, and human rights campaign was like, sure, let's do this. Um, and um, next thing we know, we found ourselves in rural Oklahoma, Broken Bow, um, and Stephen, Jose, um, your husband, Lisette, um, and Peter Betts joined as well. And um, I think the magic of that um, weekend was really that... Um, there was so much comfort with each other. Even though some of you were kind of meeting for the first time or really spending this kind of time together, um, really what was at the heart was the love for your children, you know? And, and from that, you could have these incredible conversations that I think we all need to be having, that every father needs to be having, um, whether they have a child who identifies as LGBTQ or not, you know, the conversations around manhood, around fatherhood, around brotherhood, these are conversations that really need to be talked about right now. Because some of the issues that we're seeing really come from this, um, this sense of law, you know, loss of identity of where men, what men should be doing, you know, what, you know, what kind of control they should have, should they have this control, you know, this, this, this kind of, you know, um, there, there's a loss right now, I think, and, and men who can talk about it. And I think because of who you all are, because your children, um, 
are trying to navigate this, you know, crazy world right now, um, you're forced to talk about things maybe that you wouldn't have to um, previously. And so I, I think it's going to be really special for a lot of people, um, you know, and it, and it speaks to more than just folks who um, have kids who identify in this community. Um, and I'm so excited that South by Southwest um, uh, selected the film and that we're premiering there. I think it's important, it's in Texas and you know what that's like. Um, and it just opens up a lot more conversations that need to be had. Even I've watched it like 11 times. Like Lucia gave me the passcode and I was like in there like rewatching. Like I'm crying every time. But I mean, like, mm -hmm. I think this is why stories matter, right? Like I just wanted to say, like, my favorite thing about Mama Gloria, the movie, was that you could feel her spark for life. Like she was like, bitches, I'm gonna live. Like, even when she was sick, she's like, I'm gonna live, I'm gonna be glamorous, I'm fucking here, we're living forever, like mm -hmm. in spirit, in body in soul, like I'm going to live. And I feel like because our children are so well loved, truly, I know all of your children, you know, like they are deeply held in, in, in our love, that they're like, I'm gonna live and like, here I am and I'm gonna do A, B and C and they have like these goals for themselves, which I think is like what we want for all trans people. And may and and may they see us as like as like creating a path forward for future generations because I really feel like that's what we've been called to do, right? We're creating a roadmap for our children, yes. and and we're we're getting the we're getting the pushback, right? And I think that that was what was really important about um, the dad's movie is that parents are often blamed for the inadequacies of ourselves and our children or what is perceived as an inadequacy. And we're saying, actually, no, this is a gift, a gift to like my child expanded my worldview and my experience. And my child is a gift that I'm supposed to protect and love. And so like, I'm seeing like your through line of like, I'm here, I'm living, you know, and you're not going to take that from me. And so thank you for putting that on screen because I, I know we all feel it. Absolutely. Thank you for saying that. Listen, I'm I'm giving you all virtual hugs because I have goosebumps from Lizette's comments just now. I can't even tell you. Mm -hmm. Yesterday I was in the car with my son and I was talking about like, you know, what was coming up on my agenda and human rights campaign in the South by Southwest. And I said something, I said, I'm doing reconnaissance for you so that you know what's happening in this world and I can chart a path for you. I can't walk in your shoes, but I can certainly let you know where to go. And Lizette, you just captured it perfectly with what you said. You know, we're trying to do the best we can to make the way for them because that's our job. That's our job as parents. And people who look at the parents of non-binary, gender non-conforming, transgender kids and think they're doing anything but ensuring their safety, well-being, growth and development simply don't understand us. They simply Thank don't. You. And again, we're not trying to change your mind. You are going to dwell in your ignorance. We're trying to get the minds of those people who can be changed, who are willing to open up their hearts to have some empathy and compassion for other human beings, full stop. And full I just want to say that for folks, for folks that may feel 
um, overwhelmed before we end this, right? Because I'm, I'm hoping that other parents will hear this. And yesterday I was like, Rachel, I'm like, man, I feel emotionally defeated. I don't know how we're going to like, I just feel like resigned to the moment that we're in, right? Like every year, it's 50 more bad fucking bills and we can't stop them. Now they're passing, right? Um, and then this morning when I was getting on this call with you, I was like, Daniel doesn't feel loved and supported just because of me, right? Like Daniel sees all of you. He's been around you for years, right? Like he sees all of these incredible people around him that champion him. Like sometimes Rachel and I are on calls with people that I'm like, how did we get here? Like, how did we get invited to this secret party? Like, how is it that these like, like, um, like justice warriors, like even allow us in their space, right? Like, how's this happening? And so Daniel is always like, oh, if something goes wrong, I can just call so-and-so, right? Or like, you know, so-and-so's got me. Or like, he knows if he goes to New Jersey, you know, Steven's got him and Hobbs got him right there, right? Like, and so for Daniel, he has like this whole network. And often I forget about that's the silver lining, right? When they want to mm. say, we're going to strip you of your, of your rights, of your livelihood. There's all these people that are willing to cocoon you and move forward, right? So. Well said, Lisette. Thank you, Lucina, for joining us today as our guest. Your words were truly inspirational, and we're looking forward to watching the dads when it comes to a theater near you. Now, moving on to the most exciting part of our day, allies and assholes. Sometimes we want to celebrate people who are doing really amazing things in our community that are really doing all they can to uplift transgender people. Just like there are people who, for some strange reason, have made it their mission to make the lives of transgender non-binary people uh, that much more difficult, Allies and Assholes is devoted to highlighting those people so that you know who's who. I'm calling an audible. Today's asshole is Wyoming Governor Mark Gordon, whose decision to allow Senate File 133 the legislation which bans transgender students from playing sports consistent with their gender identity to become law. Now, the reason Governor Gordon is today's asshole is because he has the power to veto that bill. He didn't sign it, but he allowed it to pass into law. Wyoming has a strange way of allowing bills that are going through the uh, lower two houses to become law. This dude just said, you know what? It is what it is, and it's now the law of Wyoming, which is, once again, absolutely terrible. Doing nothing is doing something. Absolutely. The fact that he then gave an interview talking about how it's terrible and how we have to protect trans people, and in the same breath is allowing a law to be on the books in his state, which effectively eliminates the ability for trans athletes to participate in sports consistent with their gender identity. Like, how then are you protecting trans people? How are trans people supposed to see themselves equal to everyone else in society when you're doing things that forcibly force them to recognize that that is not true in that state? In internet speak, make it make sense, because it does. Make it make sense, Governor Gordon. So, Governor Gordon, congratulations. You're the asshole of the day. All right, folks, it's a wrap. Thank you for joining today's episode of the Parent Advocate Podcast. 
We hope you enjoyed it. I'd also like to thank our amazing co-host, Stephen Chakumba, for always bringing the energy. As a reminder, feel free to like, subscribe, follow, and do all the things to keep yourself up to date with everything we're doing here at the Parent Advocate Podcast. See you next week. Bye, everyone. Goodbye. Just listen to the Parent Advocate Podcast. Tune in next week for another amazing episode.